Man, we are in a series now we've jumped into. We're in the second week of it. This series is called Toxic, right? And so your first series we walked through in the beginning of this ministry year was all about who am I in Christ? Like, what hope do I have in Christ? I am the one who is chosen, and I am forgiven, and I am redeemed, and I am sealed, and I'm enlightened, and I'm made alive, and I'm, right, it just keeps going on with all that we have in Christ, and so how come sometimes I don't feel like that? How come it's seeming very distant for me, and what's going on, and All too often, the sin within our lives that we allow to remain, the stuff we actually get used to living with, it's toxic to our soul. And uh, Lord, help me be able to identify what needs to go that you might be glorified. And Lord, teach me what needs to be let go of. And we started last week, we launched in hard and fast as we jumped in in Genesis chapter 3, just looking at... um, Adam and Eve and the story of sin entering the world, right? And we saw pride and unbelief revealed last week. They had never tasted of it before, and it collapsed them where they stood. And a pride where you value self-gain and control, pride, and unbelief where you literally decide, I'm going to add to or discount from God's word because I think I know better. And our pride and our unbelief, it can be our undoing. It's the center of a heart drifting away from our king, all right? And that was last week. We looked at some details, including the restored heart and some of the look and feel of what it can be when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us. Man, we are walking through a book. Hopefully, everybody has one of these books, all right? Just raise up your book if you've got it with you, okay? So, good deal. Let me just say this. If you're with us today and you don't have one of these books, man, make sure you get one on the way out. Like, hey, I'm just visiting today. Just get one on the way out, man. This book is from us to you. We would love for you to have it. It's got a lot of great information in it, including the outlines for the sermon series that we walked through. But more than that, uh, some of the statements we're going to make about the heart of sin and the effects it can have and how we can go after getting that diagnosed and addressed. Please make sure you grab onto one of these on your way out if you don't already have it. And uh, so let's dive in. Let's turn to page 18. All right? Page 18 in the book. I'll let you do that first. And then Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8, is where we're going to be. Genesis 3. So what if I do have some of this toxic poison in me? And, uh, what's my reaction going to be? What's the natural reaction of having sin in my life? And we're going to talk about the defense mechanisms of the poison of sin today, all right? So Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8, and uh, we're going to have our ushers coming forward. If you've got uh, the need for a Bible, just go ahead and raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? The ushers have a Bible. They'll get one to you. We are going to walk verse by verse through this. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, keep it raised. They'll get one to you there. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8, our toxic defense mechanisms. Here's the first one. We hide. Hide. When I opt for covering up in shame, hide. And uh, how easy it is when we've sinned, when we know we've done something wrong, when we know we don't stand in a good spot to try to get it covered up as fast as we can. And uh, we'll start in verse 8 here. It says, and they, this is Adam and Eve, right after they've sinned, right after they've both taken a bite of the fruit that they were told not to, this is a disobedience moment against God and 
It says right after it, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They heard the sound of God walking. Have you ever heard that? Like they heard, they literally heard God walking. And uh, what I love about this moment is it's making a statement about the very real relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. And uh, God is exist, he is present everywhere. Everybody just say present everywhere. So how does someone who's present everywhere walk anywhere? They're already there. Right? And so let's be careful with it. This is really a phrase that's called an anthropomorphism, if you want to get to use the big word, all right? It means let's take something that would be understood from a human perspective and let's assign that to God so we grasp some of what's going on. God is making himself known in a spot, his manifest presence being experienced. And uh, that's a big deal. It doesn't mean that he stopped existing everywhere. He does exist everywhere, but he's making his presence known somewhere, right there in the presence of Adam and Eve. And a huge deal, as they now sense the very presence of God. Have you ever done something wrong, and just after you did it wrong, the one who was in charge came in? Right? And that moment where your heart sinks... And you're, it's almost up in your throat. It goes the other way then. And you're like choking on it. And you're like, I got it. I got it. And then the first thing you do is hide. And uh, that's what happened here. It says the sound of the Lord God was walking in the garden. It says in the cool of the day. All right. In the cool of the day. Now, just so you know, in the original language, that's not what it actually says. It says in the wind of the day. That's what's actually in the Old Testament in your Hebrew. In the wind of the day. Now, in the afternoon, uh, there would be a wind that would come through, this afternoon breeze, or even heavier than a breeze, this afternoon wind blowing that would bring in a cooling of the day, okay? And so that's why they, most translations put the cool of the day. But just so you know, when that wind came in, it wasn't like a soft little two mile per hour where you just barely feel your hair move. It was like wind. And as that wind came in, it cooled down. And so some even say, is it possible that the very presence of God being made manifest was in the forcefulness of this wind coming in? And where every other time they sensed uh, basically a protection and a coverage and a provision as the wind of the day cooling down. Now that same wind comes rushing in and now they are afraid of judgment. And... Uh, that's kind of packed into that little phrase. And well, how come it still says cool of the day? Well, because several hundred years ago, somebody put cool of the day, and quite frankly, it starts to make it sound very other in the tone of the passage if you start shifting it too fast. But I'll just tell you, the actual original language is, in the wind of the day rushing, they sensed God walking. And uh, God's presence was made known. They heard him. They knew he was coming. It says, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Does that work? Yeah, that's a bad plan. Everybody just say bad plan. God is everywhere, man. How do you play hide and seek with someone who's already there? Right? Whatever spot you pick, God is there. And uh, they're trying to hide themselves from the one who is omnipresent. 
And while he's making his manifest presence expressed just slightly over there, he's fully aware you're slightly over here. You know what I'm saying? God's getting what's going on. He knows what's happening as they hide themselves. It says they hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Did God not know where he was? Did God not know? Answer, God knew. He knew where he was. This is a question calling out the heart of Adam, not the lack of knowledge of God. Okay? This is a question where God is saying, hey, just so you know, we're going to work together a little bit right now. And uh, where are you? And God, by the way, is fully aware this is much like when you play hide-and-seek with your two-year-old, right? And they're hiding, and you can see every part of them. And you're like, where could you be? Right? That's kind of what's going on in the midst of this where-are-you hide-and-seek game. God asks them the question, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Please notice that Adam does not answer where. He doesn't say, I'm right over here behind this tree. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, why? Why he's over there behind the tree. He says, I heard you come into the garden and I was afraid. Just to be very clear, this is the first time that Adam has ever tasted fear. Remember, he was promised that his eyes would be opened, right? Eve was told by the serpent, your eyes would be opened. She communicates forward the hope and the possibility of open eyes and seeing evil and understanding of it. And this is what it means. Yeah, his eyes were opened. He tastes of fear for the first time. And now the same presence of God being made manifest is causing his heart to be gripped with something very different. And... Uh, the corruption of sin eating him alive. And it says that he said, um, the Lord God called to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Notice he didn't even see him. He just heard him and he was afraid enough because I was naked and I hid myself. And just so you know, this word does mean unclothed. It does mean that. Naked. I, I found out I was without clothes, but it means more than that. It means without protection. And it's used often in other passages of Scripture to speak of an army that was without weapons or without a plan. And, and so it is speaking to so many facets. To say that we're naked means we are uncovered, unprotected, standing before God in need. And He's like, I'm just telling you, uh, I am uncovered, I'm in need, I am naked, and I hid myself. I hid myself. Notice it does not say, and so I trusted in you, God, and I looked for you to cover me and protect me. It doesn't say that. Everybody say, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. What it says is, I hid myself. Self-protection. Self-coverage. See, that's what happens when we get into the middle of sin. Hiding is us trying to take our protection on ourselves. It is motivated by fear. What if? And can you imagine? And I'm not sure I trust them, so... And in the midst of the fear ravaging our soul, we begin to go into self-protection mode. 
and we hide ourselves. It's our move to try to protect. And a couple of quotes. It's easier to stay in sin and to hide. It's what comes naturally. The natural move of a natural heart that's naturally sinned is to hide. It's easier to stay in sin. It's what comes naturally. It is supernatural to step into the light and seek transformation. That's something that only God does. It's something that his amazing work does. And a huge supernatural event. The natural is to let sin take its course. The natural is to get used to the way it is with sin in my life and just stand that way. That's the natural. The supernatural is to say, maybe God's got something to say about this. Maybe he can do something about this. I'm going to trust him and hand it over in supernatural work. And uh, here's another quote. The heart of sin hiding, God uncovers. The heart of sin confessed, God covers. Right? The heart of sin hiding, God uncovers. Where are you? The heart of sin confessed. Well, God covers that. God covers that sin coming in confession and saying, Lord, please forgive me and I want to trust in you as Savior. And uh, the heart of sin hiding, God uncovers. The heart of sin confessed, God covers. Praise be to God. We have hope in him. We have promise in him. And uh, man, hear me on this. Every moment of the sin in your life that you taste that causes you to have a sense of fear or a sense of even self-worth where you raise up, I'm so awesome, and you start standing against your God, it costs us. It costs us gravely as we tend towards self more and more. And we miss out on the presence of our king covering us with all he's got. What in the world are we covering? Top three things we hide or conceal. Top three things we hide or conceal. Number one, we hide the act. That's kind of obvious, right? Uh, Have you ever noticed that there is more sin and more wrongdoing done in the night than anywhere else? We hide the actions We want to make sure that those actions can't be seen. It's either in the dark or when we're alone or where it can't be defined that we're the one doing it and we hide the act. And uh, maybe we just hide it by, it's right out in plain sight, but we have our own secret passwords for what we get into. And uh, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, Man, if you're wrestling with something where you're misusing computer-based stuff and you're hiding the actions through passwords, please hear me, family rule. Uh, spouses share all passwords. No kid has his own private password, the end. We hide the action. Man, it's just a train wreck. And uh, let's share it out. Some of you are like, I can't believe he just said that. Well, praise God, you know why God's here today working with you. And uh, let's be very real, man. Passwords can be a very small thing that lead to a very huge hiding, all right? Hiding the act. And uh, number two, the other thing we hide is hiding the character. We hide what motivates the act. Um, We start faking that we're humble. We start faking that we're gentle or that we're pure. We try to put these things on fake display 
We act in a way that makes people believe we've got our stuff together when in fact we don't even remotely have our stuff together. And we keep faking it, hoping that if they don't see that I'm faking the character, they won't presume the action behind it and I can get away with this whole thing. And uh, please, stop hiding the character and start getting it real with the people you're meeting with in your impact groups, with your spouse, with friends. Get it real. Man, I'm struggling with this thing. And it needs to be let go of. May God be glorified. Guys, can you pray for me as I? Right? Hiding character. It can often be an underlying thing. If you find yourself faking it a lot, even you walk into church on Sunday and you're like, man, will they think I have my act together today. The way I walk in, the people I talk to, the way I put an arm or a hand around someone and talk with them so gently and compassionately, they'll never know the destruction in my soul. And Can we not make church the place where we try to come fake it? Let's make church the place where we come in and we all get real before our God. Because let's be real, man. Every single one of us in sin. Amen? Every single one of us in need. Amen? Every single one of us is in need of a Savior, and there is some things that need to get clean. And every moment we try to fake, we've got our act together. My word, are we missing it? God, shape me and change me. I'm ready to step out. What does it need to look like? Take your supernatural power and change me. And we hide the act, we hide the character, and the last one is we hide the hurt. Sin does not come without cost. And we hide the hurt. We start hiding the shame or the worry or the doubt, the fear. We try to fake that now. And all of a sudden, we start trying to look like we're strong when we're very weak. We hide the hurt. I'm just telling you, the days are numbered on that one. Because as we hide the hurt, it doesn't take long until it just wells up and we can't take it anymore. You know, we hide the action. We hide the character. We hide the hurt. We hide. This is what's natural when sin has taken over, when toxicity and poison is in you. We hide. And it'll eat us up, man. All right. So uh, you guys all know that had multiple surgeries in the last couple years, and, and um, you know, back before the first brain surgery, the tumor wasn't discovered yet, and we were walking through a process of trying to find it. We didn't know what it was. All we knew was I had a lower than uh, high energy. It was definitely dropping, and after preaching on Sundays, I was collapsed, and after doing anything socially, I would get exhausted, and after we would go for a little walk, I would get thoroughly, I'm, the whole time we're walking, I'm like, baby, just slow down. And she's like, come on, wuss. Fair? For like a year, I was like just lame. I couldn't figure it out, and she couldn't figure it out, and we thought I was just getting soft, and, and uh, it wasn't that. It was a brain tumor, so if you like to walk slow, use that excuse. It works for a little while. And... Uh, you know, as we were walking through this process, uh, 
We were trying to figure out what was going on. We had taken certain level checks. We knew things were low. We could get some of those kicked up, but that's symptom patching, not source fixing. And I kept wanting to source fix and yet really never went after it very aggressively. And my wife would often say, why don't you just get it checked out? We had talked about Mayo several times over and why don't you get up to Mayo? And I, that's a great idea. I need to do that. You know how it goes, right? And then you're like, but it isn't that bad. And, and like you get used to the normals. And it got to the point where I was having two or three migraines a week. And, uh, but praise God, always on a Thursday, always on a Saturday, never on a Sunday, never on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Whenever I had staff meetings, elder meetings, church services, never, never did God allow it then. And uh, praise God, I mean, we're talking years of that timing. And, uh, but you get used to it, man. And it got to the point where I would just be throwing a blanket over my head, kill all the lights, be down in the basement, eye patch on, whatever, cold washcloth on my head, and this was life. You get used to it. It's my normal. And, uh, and then a friend here from the church said, hey, I've got connections with Mayo. Can I please get you connected in there? And it just turned out the opening they had would have been the same week we were in Florida for a senior pastor retreat uh, with all the other harvests. And so we went to Jacksonville Mayo. And in four hours, they diagnosed uh, the tumor. Four hours. Four flipping hours. And I lived with that for how long? <laughs> four hours. Do you understand? That's what we do with sin. We live with it and it becomes our new normal. And after the diagnosis, hear me, it wasn't fixed. You, you have a pituitary tumor. I still had migraines for the next several weeks. I still had low energy. Diagnosing it does not fix it. And all of God's people said... Man, it is addressing it that fixes it. And that surgery that was taking place at the end of February that pulled it back off the pituitary and everything started recovering right then and there. Immediate healing started. Man, and that's just a normal human physician. We know the great physician, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Man, we have power through God Almighty. We have hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is here to walk it through with us. Forget normal. It is time for the new normal. And all of God's people said, I'm telling you, we love sin too much. We're so used to the way it is. It needs to be set down. So what's God calling you to set down? What are you hanging on to that's costing you? you holding on to that needs to go? What sin, what selfishness, what refusal to listen to God? Let's go to last week's words. What pride or unbelief is eating you up? It's time for us to hand it over to our king. And man, the next five weeks, we're going to be walking through looking at what that expression looks like different ways that sin comes out and how we can begin to identify it. Lord, show me what needs to go. Please hear me now. Just take this moment right now. Lord, show me what needs to go. No more hiding. Your moment before your God. I'm not hiding anymore. I'm handing it to you. Number two, blame. 
when I seek to find a cause for sin outside of myself. Blame, when I seek to find a cause for sin outside of myself. And uh, starting in verse 11, he said, Who told you that you were naked? This is God talking to Adam. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Again, I think, I mean, it does not say what tone of voice is being asked here, but please understand me. This is an utter violation against the creator of the universe. He could have said this. I'm not even talking to him. Remove him. Done. And he's just. He's right in doing that. But instead, he engages in communication because that's our God of love. Amen? That is our king. And in the midst of our loss and in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our selfishness, he chooses to reach in. Yes, in justice. Yes, in mercy. A combination. Praise be to God. And so God, talking with him, said, who told you? Like that was the secret of all secrets, right? Who told you? And I'm telling you, the implications here are it's so much more than about the clothes. It's so about the I'm unprotected before you, God. I feel like I can't do anything. I'm so needy and I'm unsafe. And who told you that you alone can't get it done? Who told you? And uh, he said, have you eaten of the tree which I have commanded you not to eat? And the answer to that is, what's the answer to that? Yes, God knows exactly what's going on. Is this God like, hey, I'm just going to take a shot here. It's a guess. I don't really know, but did you eat of the tree? Of the... It, it's not a guess, man. This is God fully aware, and he's calling forth the heart. Hey, parents, if you want a little parenting moment on how to work with your child's heart and shape, the power of the question is a huge, powerful tool, okay? Now, I'm not necessarily talking when they're one and a half, okay? But as they get older, being able to interact where you're talking through something and you're calling them to a question and you're asking them to find it themselves, you're calling up the heart of it. As you start to raise your child up and you start getting into those junior high and high school years, know this, their heart is essential in coming along in the plan. And uh, if it's all just rules and boundaries, I said, that's the end of it. Uh, we're going to miss shepherding their heart. God is shepherding a heart right here. That's what we're seeing in this moment as he's asking the questions. And uh, he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I've commanded of you not to eat? The man said, now does he answer? Not right away. He has a different answer. This is his answer. The woman. The, the, the woman. Like he could have just said, period. That's his first main point. The woman. I blame out. Yes, there's some action of mine. We'll get to that in just a second. Your Honor, my first point here is the woman. That's my point. I can't believe the woman. That the woman gave it. She gave me the fruit to eat. And, but he does worse than that. That was blame one, the woman. Look at blame two right after it. What does it say? That you gave me. You gave her to me, God. Isn't that where we get in our sin? Sure, I'm sinning, but somehow, God, I'm serious. You're to blame. I, I really thought about this a while, and here's, here's what I've come to as a conclusion. If you would have just 
then I wouldn't have. The woman that you gave me, two blames back to back so that I don't have to own my stuff. And uh, notice what he says there. The woman uh, that you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. Yeah, and then I ate. And I ate. Okay, fine. But, blame, blame. Please, deal with that first, God. Right? And uh, the blame comes out. I just want to say this. Um, we talk about this in biblical counseling a lot. But um, imagine you have two bags. And the one bag is um, filled with rose petals. Okay? And so I take a hammer and I beat the bag until the bag finally tears open. And I just keep beating it. And there's an odor that comes out of it. The odor is the smell of roses. And then I have this other bag, and it's filled with rotten garbage that has sat in the heat for months on end. It is rancid beyond measure. And I beat that bag with the exact same hammer. I beat that bag until the bag tears open, and the odor that comes out is... What? But the hammer is the same hammer. What's up with that? What's up with it is what's inside the heart is what comes out. And all too often, we try to define the hammer rather than our soul. You know what I'm saying? The woman that you gave me, that was a hammer. And, 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 and you gave her to me, and, right? And how often we get into our circumstances where we want to define all the circumstances that's defining the hammer, by the way, instead of defining my own heart and why it chose sin expressed. Why did I choose that? Because there's rancid, toxic, garbage, at rest in my soul. Call it out. No more defining the hammer. Time to define the toxic poison in my soul. Okay? And uh, blame, it doesn't get it done. Now let me ask you, did Eve give him the fruit? Yeah, true statement, right? Did God give Eve to Adam? True statement. These were not wrong observations. But it doesn't mean that they were the cause of the sin. The cause was in his own soul as he took and ate. And uh, God goes forward from there. He says, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Please hear me. This is not God being um, confused and twisted by the blame. And he's like, oh, that's a great point. I better pursue this information and see what I find. Right? This is not God clueless. This is God going, we'll get everybody involved. Hang on. Thanks for your words. They're not going to help out, really. Just a second. Woman. And uh, what have you done? And the woman said, um, serpent. The serpent. I mean, she's like, I'm just following an example. I'm surprised that wasn't even said. I'm just going to follow the example of my headship. He just blamed everybody else. Now I'm going to do the same. And a serpent, and to blame, and, and he deceived me. And a true statement? It is a true statement. And how often blame actually basically confuses us because it is truth, but it isn't getting the cause. And uh, we're missing the point. And, uh, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, he's like, yeah, I've already dealt with the serpent. We're not dealing with him again. Now I just get to where I'm at. 
And uh, so we have some very solid statements of cost of sin now that come out. And uh, why is he doing this? Well, let me just say this. James chapter 1, verse 13. James 1, 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's what's in your own heart that walks you into sin, okay? And uh, so God's going to take a step now based on James chapter 1, verse 13, and he's going to move through these blames as he's now gently worked with them, asking questions, but getting to the heart of where they're at. And it's now time to deal with the punishment at hand. And he says, uh, Serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all beasts of the field. Remember, this was the one who was most crafty above all. Now he is cursed above all. Cost. And a massive cost. This is Satan being punished and the expression into uh, this serpent, this animal. And it says, uh, on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. There's a cost for being involved in this um, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Here we go. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Just so you know, that is called the first evangelism, pro-evangelism. Okay, this is the statement of there is hope. The one who has deceived, the one who has taken everyone else and twisted them towards self Yes, he is guilty of that. And hear me, your head will be bruised by their heel. In other words, man will have victory over Satan. How does that happen that you and I have victory over him? Here's how. We have our hope in not man himself, but in the God-man, Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He has stooped down. He has humbled himself and become a man. He has taken on what we are and clothed in humanity, lived it in perfection. And as he went to the cross, he said these words, It is finished. The pro-evangelum being spoken of. He could have said these words, His head is now bruised. By nothing but my heel. It is done. I have paid the work on the cross. And there is now hope for the souls of mankind through my blood shed for them. And all of God's people said, and that's our hope. As we come after sin, please hear me. This is not you muscling it alone. This is Christ has paid the price. This is the Spirit's glory pouring over you will change you. Make sure you allow God to do the work, not you to try to muscle it. Just so you know, if you're going home from here and you're picking the sin you're going to go after, you've heard me say this a bunch, muscling it usually lasts about five to seven weeks, okay? So you might feel some awesome victory and you'll be like, oh man, I remember that sermon when, and I decided to sin that, and by Christmas time, it's all a train wreck. May we not go after it ourselves. Lord God, I need you. You are my hope. You are my passion. You are my purpose. You are my good news. And his name is Jesus Christ. And uh, he then says uh, to the woman, 
I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you. There's gonna be some pain on earth this time. And now he goes to the man to talk about pain and he's like, you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you and you shall, that you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. That's where the world collapsed. The moment they took the bite, collapse. Cursed is the ground. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In toil, some of the passages say, some of your translations, and yes, work, hard work, pain work, and uh, remember, we talked about this last week, Adam was given into the garden to work before the fall. Work itself is not bad, and all of God's people said, work itself is not bad, but the work will be harder in this broken world because of our sin, and all of God's people said, may we not complain because of our sin destroying this world and somehow shake a fist at God and blame him. That's exactly where Adam and Eve tried to go. Lord, may we not be doing that. And uh, here's what I love. If you jump down now to verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. This is God, the Father God, the Son God, the Holy Spirit, one of us, in knowing good and evil. And they did know good and evil. Unfortunately, they knew it where it collapsed their soul. But they knew evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the, God, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. In the midst of the punishment is mercy. Hear me, our days are numbered and death is a part of sin. Praise be to God. You get that? Like we literally don't have to live in this broken world for eternity, constantly struggling with the brokenness of our, our physical um, manhood and womanhood. We have a savior. We have a future, praise be to God. And as it goes to eternity and we shuck these broken shells and we move into an eternity with him to worship him, hear me, no more sorrow, no more pain, a full out worship of our king. Our God has it in hand. And in the midst of this sin that has taken us down, God is making all things new. And all of God's people said, are you ready to take part with him in him making your soul new? In each day, him doing something transforming in your soul that is new. Forget the normal. It's time for a new normal. Done with the hiding. Done with the blaming. May God get all the glory. As we start to walk through these next five weeks, there's going to be a depth of various sins that we're going to be walking through and just saying, man, is this where you're at? And there's going to be so many in the body that each week are going to be devastated with that peace and we are going to together wrap arms together, cry out for each other as we start seeing God do a work. That's our hope and our prayer. Are you ready to take on normal and set it aside? for a new normal of your God doing a healing work. Are you ready? Here's my request as we go into this week. Man, there is a reading plan in those books. Make sure you're walking through that reading plan. There are questions for your impact group. Make sure you're getting through those. And there's a diagnosis set of questions at the back of this section. Make sure you take a look at those and you walk through those. Answer some questions for yourself. Lord, where am I at and what do I need to hear? that you might be glorified. Sin, 
is toxic, man. And here's the sick of it. It sells that it's going to taste so good. And for just a moment of time, it tweaks one facet of our experience. And it does feel good for the moment. And then it leaves us devastated for a lifetime. Time to set it down. Time to hand the shame to him. Time to hand the blaming and the hiding to him. Time to hand the hurt and the character and the action to our God. May he do an amazing work. And all of God's people said, let's pray.